Welcome to the Faith Radio Reading the Bible Together podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. For this series, we're reading through the first six chapters of Daniel, and our hope is that as we study the lives of Daniel and his friends, you will be encouraged to stand up for your faith while also exhibiting courage, wisdom, and respect. Today, we're talking about Daniel chapter 4, and joining me again is University of Northwestern Bible professor Anna Rask. Welcome. Hi, thank you. So I... I don't know about you, but I am so much enjoying this. Thank you. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. I'm really thankful to be here. Oh, it's so interesting. So now we are into chapter four. Set the stage for this kind of odd chapter. Yeah, this is the one we don't talk about in Sunday school. (laughs) I think this would make children uncomfortable. (laughs) So uh, I I, I don't recall ever hearing about this as a kid, with good reason, but uh, it's in there. And so, yeah, we need to talk about it and... uh, learn about this very interesting experience uh, that happens to Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the last time we hear from him in this book. This chapter is not dated, but uh, I have to believe these events took place after Nebuchadnezzar deported that third group of exiles Mm -hmm. and destroyed uh, the temple in Jerusalem. Because I see this as, I mean, if Nebuchadnezzar has a a so-called conversion experience to just worshiping Yahweh, I'd have to believe it's in this chapter. And I'd have a hard time believing if he, his belief and praise of God is followed by the destruction of God's temple. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. that just to me doesn't cohere. So although it's not dated, I'd have a hard time believing that he goes and destroys the temple afterwards. But His chapter is fascinating because it's written in the form of a letter or a decree by Nebuchadnezzar himself. The chapter starts with with Nebuchadnezzar praising God and ends with Nebuchadnezzar praising God. And so you as a reader are like, well, okay, what what led to this? What Mm -hmm. is going on here? And so you see that a lot of this is in first person of him telling his story, which I find fascinating. And he sets the stage by describing his prosperity, his contentment. And I briefly mentioned that Babylon was a beautiful city. He helped construct it. It was magnificent. And so he's like, yeah, life is going well for me. Mm-hmm. But like he had in chapter two, he has a dream. And this dream is probably scarier than the first dream he had. It torments him. And a few differences we see from this situation versus chapter two is when he calls his wise men to interpret the dream, he actually tells them what the dream was. He, he gives the <laughs> content this time. time. Yeah. 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 And they're not threatened with death. He just wants to know the meaning. And I don't know why he doesn't call Daniel right away, but Daniel is not in the first group that he calls. They can't do it. And so he calls Daniel. I mean, Daniel has come through in the, t- in the past. And as I mentioned uh, a few episodes ago, he refers to Daniel by his Babylonian name, Belshazzar. And he says, ah, come back like this guy. I know he has the spirit of the holy gods within him. And to me, that signals he's still retaining his polytheism at this point in the story. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, he calls Daniel and he explains the, what the dream is and then is hoping for an interpretation. So this dream involves a huge tree in the middle of the land. And it's, it's giving food and shade to all these uh, animals. It's, it's providing life, prosperity, and growth. And it's really a cosmic tree that the whole earth is kind of benefiting from. And 
if you learn a little bit more about Mesopotamia and uh, what's called iconography of when they would like draw on stone and, mm-hmm. and draw different pictures and images, this tree symbol uh, is actually quite prominent. A scholar named Asko Parpolas writes that this tree represents the divine world order, and it's maintained by the king. And in some of these images, you'll see that their god, Asur, is uh, pictured above this tree. And sometimes in some of their images, the, the king actually takes the place of the tree. He's a human personification of the tree. So if the the tree is symbolizing divine world order, then the king is himself representing the realization of that order in a man. He's the true image of God, the perfect man who's providing sustenance to the world. Okay. And Daniel's going to say, that's you. You're the top dog right now. You have the most powerful position in the world. So, I mean, it starts off really nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, this is a beautiful tree, and it's it's providing all this life-giving influence uh, and sustaining power. But then Nebuchadnezzar sees a supernatural being, and this being orders the tree to be cut down. And what's interesting is that the the supernatural being says, okay, don't don't destroy it. Leave a stump. Mm. So the tree is not fully destroyed, but it's cut off. And then it says this tree becomes a beast that wanders the earth for seven times. And I think that's probably a reference to years, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't say. And verse 17 reveals a motivation for this destruction. It says the the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. And so that's really the point here is talking about this might be the best tree, but God is in control and he appoints and brings down those he wants to. So you can already see the hints of, okay, I think I know the interpretation of this dream. (laughs) And we're going to see that Daniel is going to pass it on to Nebuchadnezzar. Now we've seen this interesting dynamic throughout the book of Daniel and their relationship that Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel start to form. And you actually see Daniel pause here. He hesitates to give the king the dream, the meaning of the dream, because he knows it's horrifying and he's not happy about passing on the Mm. news. And this shows that Daniel is actually starting to care for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, This again is the king that deported three groups of Daniel's people to, to Babylon and destroyed their holy temple And yet Daniel has compassion and Nebuchadnezzar is presented as a compassionate figure towards this latter portion of the book. And Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree. You're the most powerful man in the world. You protect and provide for people in your empire, but you're going to be judged. You'll be cut down and you'll become like an animal. You're going to go insane and you'll be forced from this palace to live amongst the beasts of the field. But here's the good news. This dream is conditional. If you avoid sin and do what is right and you humble yourself, you will be spared of this. You must pursue humility, not pride. You are not a god. So, okay, a scary dream, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to come true if you don't let it come true. Right, right. He he gets to have a choice Mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. And the text reveals that 
he's okay for 12 months. For 12 months, he's spared of this fate. But verse 28 and 29 reveal, they say, hey, this is all going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. But for 12 months, he's spared. Until one day, he's walking on the roof of his palace. And again, I've mentioned Babylon, probably... I, there's the, the the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's speculated the hanging gardens of Babylon are, are one of those seven wonders. And scholars haven't had like full identification of it, but it's a magnificent place. And But he has the audacity to walk on his roof and be like, this is fantastic. I did this. I am so great. Look at what I have built with my hands. And mm-hmm. so he takes all the glory for himself. And I love this. Verse 31 says, while those words are still on his lips, a voice from heaven comes and basically says, yeah, this, your dream's going to come true. Your royal authority's taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and live like wild animals. You'll eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately it comes true. He's driven away from people. He eats grass like an ox. His body's drenched with the dew of heaven. His hair grows like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Yeah, that's why we don't share about it in Sunday school. It's a little <laughs> intense. Scary. Yes, yeah. yeah. But that's the point. He took all the glory for himself mm-hmm. and he had to learn the lesson that God is the one who is sovereign over all kingdoms. He is not. And I I love this quote by Dana Falwell. She says, a man who thinks he is like a god must become a beast to learn he's only a human being. Mm -hmm. I'm like, whew, gives you chills a little bit. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and he had to learn that lesson. And apparently at the end of seven times, maybe that's seven years, it says he raises his eyes towards heaven, uh, seemingly saying that he's acknowledging his role in this world. He's humbled. He learned the lesson. He learned God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them genuine wishes. And his sanity is restored. He actually gets a measure of his kingdom back. But I cannot imagine what it would be like to see him walking through the city gates, coming back with his sanity to be restored to his kingdom. I'd be like, oh, you're back. Look at you. (laughs) Let's get you a haircut and a bath. Manicure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'd like to think about what other people would have thought at that time. Like, oh, uh, I guess Nebuchadnezzar's back, guys. (laughs) He's changed. Something I've thought of, and I haven't asked this question before, where is the modern day of where Babylon was? Yeah, sorry. It's in modern day Iraq. And there are still ruins there of Babylon. I don't know their current status, but I think archaeology has been done there. But, yeah, it's modern-day Iraq along the Euphrates River. Okay. Yeah. That was something I thought. You mentioned it a couple of times, and I thought, where? Yeah. yeah. I know I don't know where. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and you can just look at a map and, I mean, or— you can orient yourself of, of where Babylon is, but right along the Euphrates River, which was a strategic location to, I mean, have fresh water. So. Right, right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So something that I think is really interesting from this chapter is there's a lot about pride mm-hmm. and arrogance and the value of repentance, Yeah, too. So maybe let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, because in some sense, I think there is a place where it's okay to take some pride in your work mm-hmm. uh, and your achievements. But there's a point, it seems that it be- can become too much and you become proud and you become arrogant. And 
Nebuchadnezzar had all this power, all these beautiful things, all this wealth, this beautiful home, and he took all the glory for himself. He didn't give any credit to God. And so I encourage my students to think about this, but when we think about our achievements and our positions and our possessions, we got to give God credit for it. We got to mm-hmm. give him the glory. And uh, my youth pastor once told me, is like whenever you receive a compliment and someone is seemingly glorifying you, so to speak, she encouraged us to think of it like we had a mirror. Like it, you take in the compliment, but tilt that mirror forward and give that glory back to God. Reflect it back up to God. It's a warning against pride. That's, uh, that's what this passage is. And I've heard it said... Um, Humble yourself or else God will do it for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Pride comes before the fall. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, actually, I, I had it. Yeah. Proverbs sixteen eighteen. I wanted to read for us. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So, yeah, this is a huge warning. But there's also a sense that this is an encouragement because think about the people in exile God had just humbled the most powerful king of the wor- in the world, and they can take uh, encouragement knowing that, hey, God's got us. God's got our back. And maybe when you're facing this in your daily life of situations of prideful people, you can know that they are not the end-all, be-all. They are accountable to someone else. Mm-hmm. When I was reading this chapter, it was really making me come face-to-face with my own mm-hmm. pride, too. It's so easy to take credit yeah. for yeah. all things, you know, anything Absolutely. that you do. Absolutely. And I think that pride can take different, I, I think it can look different in different people as well. Like I was, um, someone was speaking once and they said, sometimes it can be like the, the root of the thing is pride. Like God wants you to step forward to do something, but you don't feel like you're skilled mm-hmm. in it. And so you don't step forward because you would look bad if yeah. you stepped forward. The root of that is pride. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we have to dig to find the pride mm-hmm. in the thing. Yeah, self-deprecation can have pride behind it as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the most important thing for us to take it back to is the person of Jesus. And what an amazing comparison if you're looking at Nebuchadnezzar versus Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar was a human, yet he glorified himself as if he were a god. Jesus was God, and yet he humbled himself to become a human in order to save us. Mm. And it's just like complete difference. (laughs) (laughs) And just amazing the humility that Christ had to set aside for a time all of the rights that were his and the glory that was his to be born in a stable mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lowly stable, uh, not into wealth, his birth not being announced to the nations and kings of the world, but to shepherds. And that's really the countercultural message of the gospel. It's, it's, it's not what you expect. Mm-hmm. Well, and even while he was in human form, that he continued to humble himself, mm-hmm. washing the, his disciples' feet yes. and mm-hmm. always serving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. serve. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. Is there anything else that we, that you would like to talk about, make sure that we cover for chapter four? I think those are the main points, but I encourage okay. us to hang on to the ideas of pride and arrogance, because while one ruler repents of his pride and arrogance, in the next chapter, we'll see one who doesn't. 
Well, and that is where I'm going to leave it for this (laughs) week (laughs) or for today. Excuse me. So make sure that you tune in tomorrow and we will be covering Daniel chapter five. Thanks for joining us. The Reading the Bible Together podcast is a production of Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Hosted, produced, and edited by Angela Smith. Special thanks to Professor Anna Rask. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, consider financially supporting Faith Radio. Find more information at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you.